Hello Peter, thank you for being here and attending uh, this fantastic workshop. We have a few questions for you. For example, in your latest book, National Myth and the First World War in Modern Popular Music, um, you explored how popular music depicts one of the most studied historical events. What is, in your view, the relationship between collective or culture, memory and music? I think the link between the two is an, an indispensable one. I, I think music plays an extraordinarily important part in cultural memory in nearly every part of the world. Um, sometimes it takes a very specific form uh, in national commemoration and at other times it's more in the background. Um, with the work on the First World War, what started my interest in it was when um, Polly Harvey's album Let England Shake came out and a lot of critics said there aren't many songs in the English language that are about the First World War and I thought well I think there are you know and, and I think now I've got uh, up to about 2,000 different songs from, rep from 70 different countries. 2,000? 2,000 oh. uh, and that's not counting um, different versions of the same song. Uh, so it becomes part of the collective memory of, of, of countries. I mean, there's even, I think, an, a, a, an example today, um, the obituary in the newspapers of the film director Michael Anderson, um, not a particularly well-known film director, but one of the films that he made in, I think, 1955 was The Dam Busters, um, which wasn't really, at that time, part of the cultural memory in Britain of the Second World War. But then the film was very popular, and in particular the theme um, so theme tune from that, which I think was written by Eric Coates, uh, has become an extraordinary part of cultural memory. It, it's utilised in all sorts of places that you wouldn't expect. For example, on football terraces, a lot of football songs go to the theme of the Dambusters. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that can happen with music. Thank you. You also take an interesting interdisciplinary approach in which you exemplified how national nar narrative influenced songwriters. In accordance to your analysis, which role does music play in the individual's attempt to reconceptualize, reconstruct and integrate national memories and narratives about the Great War? Well, I think it's a communication method of choice because music is experienced so viscerally that you... Uh, experience music, interestingly, it's one of the things that Jonathan Dove said yesterday in his talk, that um, you experience music before you understand it, or, e or even if it's got a text, um, it's the music that will hit you first, and then you might think about what the words mean. Uh, and I think that's probably why it um, is, is utilised in, in that way. But in popular music, one of the interesting things is that the songs themselves are not really about the First World War. And I think that's generally true about popular music. It's less true of, of the um, classical music about the war, but it's certainly true of popular music. Popular musicians, uh, because of the, you know, the fact that they're working in genres that are about today, write songs about today. Uh, although sometimes they might turn to an historical subject because they can utilise the imagery about that historical event to say something about today. So, for example, when 
popular musicians started writing about the First World War, it was in the late 1950s. And yet you had genres of music, for example, folk in, in the Anglo-Saxon world and chanson in France, that talked about um, political and historical subjects before that. But it wasn't until about 1957, 58, that... Uh, popular musicians started writing songs about the First World War. And it started first in France with um, musicians such as Jacques Brel and Georges Brassens. And the reason that they were talking about the First World War was really as a metaphor for the war in Algeria that was going on at the time. And then that came through into um, the Anglo-Saxon world in England, Britain and uh, the USA in the early to mid-1960s and most of the songs then were more about the Vietnam War than they were about the First World War. So I think there is a slight difference in, in the way that popular and classical um, musicians approach uh, historical subjects. And, and with the popular music um, of the time uh, being much more a reflection of current um, thoughts and maybe the classical musicians being able to slightly detach themselves sometimes from, from current events and therefore use it in a more commemorative way, perhaps. So, in your said book, uh, you explain that while some songwriters stick rigidly to culture-dominant forms of memory, others seek an opposition or a transnational perspective, other than, let's say, within the national discourse. Could you tell us more about the difference and perhaps even give us some mm. examples? Yeah, I mean, I do think that the vast majority simply utilise the First World War as an example of a war in which, which was tragic, millions of deaths. Certainly in um, Britain in particular, uh, it's seen as um, a futile con conflict that, that people don't understand why it took place. Um, in other countries, for example, Australia and Canada... Um, they see the war as being a, an important milestone on the um, uh, on the way to becoming a nation, and yet you've got quite significant differences. So, um, Australian songs are certainly about uh, the fact that that um, Australians were heroic during the war, um, that it was the crucible of the nation, but they can often be very critical of the role that Britain played in the war. Um, whereas Canadian songs are somewhat different. And I think the reason for that is the, the, the role that the two nations played in the war, that um, the Canadians actually view the war much more positively than Australians or, or British people do. Uh, partly because perhaps in World War II the Canadians were not so prominent. I mean, they were the First World War, probably the leading nation in terms of the success of their troops. Uh, and so you've got songs in Canada that actually almost not don't celebrate the war, but certainly say, we won, and often say, most of the boys came back, which indeed they did. You know, um, uh, The majority did return, the majority weren't killed. So that's, that's certainly one aspect of it. Um, but then there are a number of um, musicians that take both an alternative or a transnational approach. It's really difficult, I think, for 
people, unless they've they're deeply embedded in more than one culture to be to be able to write in that way but a, but a really good example is um an album called empire soldiers and uh it's a collaboration between um british and french um musicians both white and from the former colonies so you have um a white british contributor um, a an Afro-Caribbean British contributor and uh, a musician from uh, with Pakistani uh, roots. In from the Fran French side, you have another white French collaborator and uh, an Algerian uh, as well and a Senegalese. And that's an album that looks at the experience and the contribution of. Uh, black soldiers and labourers during the First World War and crosses all of those boundaries. So that's a, that's a, a remarkable um, album. And then you've got a number of musicians that take a very different approach. And so, as I said, the, the inspiration behind starting out my research on this and writing the book was was P. J. Harvey, and and she spent around. Over, over two years, two and a half years, researching uh, the what became the songs on Let England Shake. Some of them are more, much more contemporary and refer to the Afghanistan and Iraqi conflicts, but quite a few of them are about um, the First World War, and in particular about the Gallipoli campaign from uh, the Australian and New Zealand perspective. And indeed, she sets some words in a song called uh, Colour of the Earth from... Uh, an eyewitness um, autobiographical account of uh, one of the battles in Gallipoli, uh, but uh, the the soldier looking back years later on the death of his best friend in that battle, um, and so that was that. You know, I think of all the the examples. I mean, hers is the most fully developed um, examination of the war. And then, of course, she's gone on in her more recent al album, Hope Six demolition project she visited um, Kosovo and Afghanistan um, she wrote poems about it she went with the um, the filmmaker Seamus Murphy and then she's turned a lot of those into songs um, and I think that there you've got a, a, a remarkable set of reflections on the meaning of war remembrance commemoration all sorts of things uh, and then there's then there's a lot of individual ones as well. I mean the uh, uh, the ones that stand out for me. I mean my my favourite, sadly now no longer Withers Band, um, Electrolane, uh, taking a poem by Siegfried Sassoon, which was uh, which is called A Letter Home, and it was the poem that he wrote uh, immediately after the man that he was in love with, David Thomas, had been killed, and um, Electrolane take that song cut it up in a way, add a, uh, a, a bit at the beginning and a bit at the end. Um, they're, they're a very electronically based band. Their influences were people like Velvet Underground and Noi. Uh, and they have a choir that comes in in it as well. And it's an extraordinary um, piece of music. It deserves a lot more recognition. Um, and maybe just perhaps also mention... Um, Another extraordinary female artist, Diamanda Galas. She's American, but her, her um, forebears are, are of uh, Greek and 
uh, Anatolian um, dis- uh, descendants, and she's written, a, or she she is well known, shall we say, for her visceral performances on on quite um, confrontational subjects. And she has uh, an album called Orders from the Dead, which is about the Armenian genocide, and it is harrowing in the most extraordinary way. I mean, uh, not something that, that, that you would exactly say you enjoy, but it really brings to life, if that's the right word for it, um, the horrific things that happened. So there's some... Uh, on a lighter, on a lighter vote, uh, note, um, though, there's the, uh, the Portland indie band, The Decemberists. They've written lots of songs about historical events, but their song... The Soldiering Life is about gay love in the trenches um, and, in fact, how perhaps sort of quite um, positive things can come out of war as well as negative ones. So there's a few. You already briefly mentioned um, more recent conflicts in contemporary music. When you think particularly about Syria, Iraq and Afghanistan, which role do you think um, contemporary music plays? In it's, a, it's really interesting because... Um, As I said before, that uh, most popular music, which is about historical subjects, isn't really about the historical subject, but it's about today. And I think a lot of the time there's got to be a little bit of distance between the historical topic and the writing of a, a piece of art, unless you've experienced it yourself. Uh, it's almost as if you you've got to... It, it's a... Um, respectful there's got to be this respectful distance uh, and very interestingly I mean Let England Shake Polly Harvey didn't visit Gallipoli extraordinarily she just read about it but with her latest more recent album she felt she couldn't write about it unless she went there and talked to the people and find, found out a lot more about it Um And I think that that's probably why yet that there won't be a lot of songs, certainly in the West, in places like, like England, on recent conflicts until there's been that, that little bit of distance. And then I think there has to be the cultural resonance as well. So if conflicts are forgotten, there won't be many people writing about it. And as there weren't about the First World War between about 1930 and 1960. Um, it's only when they reach a point of cultural recognition so that when somebody sings about it, a large number of their listeners will understand what, what they're talking about, uh, that, that it actually sort of starts getting into the psyche of, um, of musicians and performers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that perhaps unless you're making a political comment on things, it probably will take a, a while before people start talking much more or singing much more about those. So, more general question. In, in your opinion... Can music help us to remember and commemorate better? Um, it certainly helps us remember. There's mm-hmm. definitely, you know, 
there's been psychological experiments that show that you can remember. I mean, there's recently I was just reading about um, people suffering with dementia and how music can um, help them because they it, it, it triggers something in their brains. It certainly helps you remember. Um, but it depends on how you interpret better. If you mean without enmity or historical distortion, then yes, it can. And I think that most musicians are responsible people and they are sensitive and positive in that way. But like any method of communication, it can also be fake news. It can also distort and it can exacerbate or at least um, help maintain divisions. So, you know, music is not, um, shall we say, the, the universal salve that some people suggest that it is. It needs to be handled very carefully. Um, and if you don't do it in the right way, it can actually be positively destructive. And there's some, some good examples of that. There are a few songs about the First World War which, which perpetuate national divisions or even attack minorities. Um, and that's certainly the case with, with uh, music more generally, I think. And um, last question, in which way do you think um, music can facilitate international reconciliation? Well, I think the best way of answering that is to give you an example, and that's the Israeli band Orphan Land. Um, Orphan Land are generally, I suppose you'd call them a, a heavy metal band, though they've moved from the sort of more extreme end of metal more to, to, to folk metal, I think, over the years. Um, and... They certainly, both in their songs themselves and in the way that they practice music, have positively promoted reconciliation. So, for example, um, they've toured with the Palestinian band Kalas um, throughout the Middle East. And in 2015, uh, there was a peace festival held in Turkey as part of the Gallipoli commemorations, which uh, Orphan Land, who are... Who are pretty, you know, got an international following, um, were headlined. But they, they said they wouldn't um, participate in the festival unless they played alongside bands from uh, the rest of the Middle East, Iran, Turkey, um, Palestinian musicians. Um, and so, you know, there you've got an example of um, a musicians actually positively promoting reconciliation. And you can tell that it's working when um, they are attacked in the right-wing press in Israel. Um, they're denounced by the more fundamentalist um, uh, rabbis in, in Israel and indeed have received many death threats as well. That's when you can tell it's working because the people that will not be reconciled start attacking you. Thank you very much. Thank you.